0: Accuracy is always going to win out over speed. So, I, I, if if I could, you know, make it to where more people would understand that, that you know, shooting a shooting a slow, giving, heavy hitting, making your bow quiet is way more important than a fast miss. A slow hit is better than a fast miss. I got to get a shirt with that on there. But I want to be able to facilitate people to get a good introduction into archery and bow hunting so that they have a pleasant experience and they, they too can relay it to the next person because getting set up with archery is so important. It's like uh, buying a, you know, a, a tailored suit. It has to fit you the right drawing, the right poundage so that you have a pleasant experience and that you're accurate.
1: So I've had some people ask me before, how do I come up with the list of guests that I want to have on the Rice Killie podcast? In reality, I have a list that's probably, I don't know, maybe about two or three pages long. And some of the names that are on that list have been on there since the beginning of the show, since it first started. And today I get to knock one of those names off of the list. Of course, today I'm privileged to have Travis T-Bone Turner on the Rise league Podcast where he's gonna drop all kinds of archery knowledge. He's gonna be able to answer some questions that I did through our uh, Instagram stories a couple weeks ago. I put in my story right before I talked to T-Bone and I asked you guys, If you had any archery questions, because I had an archery guru, so to speak, quote unquote, coming on the RiceGalit podcast. So today I get the opportunity to share some of T-Bone's knowledge on answering some of those common archery questions. So thank you guys for joining me on the RiceGalit podcast today. My name is Tyler Pruitt. I am the host and the founder of the RiceGalit podcast. I appreciate you taking some time to listen to the RiceGalit podcast today. I do have a couple of announcements before we get into my conversation with T-Bone. First of all, I want to let you guys know that the Rise Kelly podcast is listener supported as of right now. All right. So, what that means is that you guys have the opportunity to directly support the Rise Kelly podcast and be able to help grow the audio experience for listeners and for my guests. All right. So, just to kind of give you a little bit of the, the insides, I'm going to pull back the, the curtain a little bit on what I plan to use this support for. And that is to basically. Increase the visual experience of the Risecalate podcast. All right. So, what I mean by that is that I know a lot of you guys that you probably listen to multiple podcasts. I do too. There's a lot of podcasts out there that I enjoy listening to on the podcast platform on my phone, but I also enjoy watching the interviews on YouTube. So, that's exactly what I want to kind of implement with the Risecalate podcast, where I'll be able to do a video type interview with my guest. And of course, those type of subscriptions, they cost a little bit of money. So that's exactly what your support for the RISCLE podcast will be put towards. So hopefully that'll be something that I'll be able to implement here soon. And if you are interested in supporting the RISCLE podcast, then head to the link that is down in the show notes. It'll say the RISCLE podcast is listener supported. Click here to support. All right. So just click on that and see how you can help the RISCLE podcast today. Now, also like I mentioned before, i active on Instagram. So be sure you follow me on Instagram at the handle at RiseKillEat. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash afield So make sure that you connect with me on those social media accounts. I like to share some additional content in addition to, of course, this rise, kill, EAT podcast show. So make sure that you guys are connecting with me there. Alright, so again, I am privileged with the opportunity to be able to mark one of the big names that I've had on my potential guest list for a long time, because he's now on the Rise Elite Podcast. So of course today, my guest is Travis T-Bone Turner. So in case you don't know who T-Bone is, he is a professional archer who has competed in competitive archery, and he's also an avid bow hunter. He is somebody who has worked with celebrities like Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Jordan, Of course, Michael Waddell, David Blanton, all kinds of country music artists, baseball players, professional athletes, and he has set up their bows and instructed them on how to shoot their bows better. So he's the guy that has has really developed a reputation for being somebody who offers sound advice to people who are wanting to improve their ability to shoot archery and of course bow hunt. He's also co-host of the show Bone Collector with Michael Waddell. And Mick Munt, make sure you guys are checking out his show, Bone Collector. All right, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Travis T-Bone Turner. All right, so we'll go ahead and get us started here. So I'm sitting here with Travis T-Bone Turner and the fact that I even get to say that is pretty awesome. And it's certainly a pleasure of mine and it's certainly a, a privilege. So thank you, Travis, for being on the Rise Elite podcast with me.
0: Oh man, I, I really appreciate uh, um, it. You know, it, we've always we've always uh, enjoyed doing you know any media and and podcast. I mean, I, I I guess I should start my own. It seems like it's very popular, but I, I enjoy doing them.
1: I think you should. I think that would be a, a great resource for a lot of folks out there, especially you know this time of year with archery season, that kind of stuff coming up. I know I would oh, definitely yeah. listen to it. So if you did, then I'm I'll be first in line.
0: Yep. Chewing the fat with T-bone,
1: huh? <laughs> there we go. Hey, you already got a title and everything. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, I think I saw on Instagram that a few weeks ago you were um, planning on going to Bowfest up in Wisconsin. So how how did that go? That was,
0: um, you know, Bowfest has been in existence for, I don't know, three or four years now. And I haven't had a chance to go. Michael and Nick got to go. Last year, and they was telling me what a good time they had, what a great facility it was, and it's just a, basically a, um, it's like a Woodstock, but for you know outdoors people and basically archery. So anything you can think of, they've got uh, pop up targets, they've got any type of archery that you can think of, they got going on there. And as well, this year they actually included the OPA uh, the championship, which was you know twenty thousand dollars to the first place winner on that. So the best of the best was there. Uh, it's a ski resort, and it's in northern Wisconsin. You ride the chairlift up, and they have four large different courses that you walk through the woods. And, uh, man, there were so many people turned out. I, I think, you know, it was kind of iffy if it was going to go on with all the, you know, the COVID and, and corona going on. But to be honest, I think the outdoor outdoor industry and outdoor population is just itching to get outside. So families were just coming in by groves. We had concerts every night. Um, it just great food, fellowship, camping on site, cabins on site. It was just a, a great outdoor get together and a, a whole bunch of arrow flinging.
1: Yeah, that's great. That was the first thing I, I thought of whenever I saw that on there. I was like, how's this event gonna happen with all these, you know, all this craziness going on? But that's great that you guys were able to actually have it and be able to of course meet with everybody and get a whole bunch of people together and stuff that's that's pretty awesome i'm a, very much jealous
0: yeah it, i was kind of concerned i actually always coming up coming up to it you was thinking like uh, you know i said well this is probably going to get canceled it's been in works but mr larry and uh, mike pollard they uh man they have busted their hump trying to organize this and larry uh was the the creator and owner of block targets you know he's um i can't pronounce his last name it's kind of hard to pronounce but anyway Ray's broadhead raven crossbows and uh you know he, he was the the originator of those and, and sold those companies but he just absolutely loves archery and this is his way to to give back you know the, the amount of money that he's invested he owns the ski resort so he's turning it into something that can be done you know through the spring and summer months uh, for hiking and and uh, bow shooting and stuff so um, you can tell he's got a passion and a love for archery and he said that come come hell or high water he's going to make sure this bow fest is a annual thing and uh you know just an outdoor arrow flinging celebration so hats off to him for supporting you know our 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 love of the sport
1: yeah that's great that's that's awesome that you guys were able to do that and that's really cool that he's he's got that facility where he's able to do that kind of stuff you know and of course being able to turn it into year-round i know a lot of people that have those kind of facilities they struggle during those months because there's not not much to do and that's that's awesome that he's got that of course that's a passion of his with all the companies and everything he's he's owned that's that's great that's awesome
0: oh yeah absolutely it, it was a, a great facility i just told him he needs to flatten out the hills a little bit for this that <laughs> Georgia boy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh man but, yeah i think it's a testament though that you know like you were saying like we're just ready to get outside like everybody's been cooped up in their houses for the past four or five months we're we're ready to get out and do some hunting. We're ready to get out and do some arrow flinging and all that kind of thing. I think it's a definitely a testament to the lifestyle that we that we choose to live. Yeah,
0: the best social distance that I know is 20 foot up the tree and nobody else around you.
1: That's right. That's right. So, of course, you know, being T-Bone, of course, archery is a, is a huge deal for you as well. So where did that, all that kind of start with you, with, uh, you know, your passion for archery and then, of course, moving on into uh, bow hunting?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I guess, I guess uh, most folks across the country just kind of, um, you know, know that that I have been with RealTree for some time. And if you can go way back to like around 2000, I played a character with Jeff Foxworthy, uh, which is where T-Bone came from. And then, you know, became good friends with Nick and Michael. And then we we started Bone Collector in 2007 and 2008. But way, way, way before that, um, I started competing in archery uh, tournaments in 1988, and was fortunate enough to uh, uh, win the World Championships in 1991, the 3D uh, Championships, which was down in uh, Valdosta, Georgia that year. And uh, I shot competitively all the way from 88 to about 2002. Um, I shot for, you know, Browning for three years, and then I shot for PSC for three years, and then I've been with Hoyt uh, since 1996, so I've been with Hoyt for quite some time, but I competed at all the IBOs, all the ASAs, and in the pro division. And uh, I'm not saying I, 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 by no means was I a Levi Morgan, but I, I, maybe I made a few folks laugh on the range, and and uh, I'd scare scare them occasionally and get in there and get me a paycheck, one of those happy Gilmore checks. So <laughs> had fun doing that. But um, you know, as I got older, I, I opened my own archery shop in in '94 and had my own archer shop and was touring around the country and just and immersed myself into the industry just knowing, knowing that you know I wanted to do something in the industry. I'd worked for Mercedes Benz for nine years before that and I said "Yeah, I just don't want to turn wrenches all my life so I, I took a pay cut and while I could, still could I wasn't married didn't have kids and I said you know, I'm just going to try something in the outdoor industry I can always go back and you know work on cars or I had a two-year degree for heating and air conditioning so I could have done that and my uncles and my dad and, uh, you know, my elders, they always told me, said, you know, pursue your passion and you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. And I just knew that I wanted to do something in the outdoors. And, uh, you know, that holds true. You know, you work something that you love, you know, working 80 hours a week, working on archery back in the early nineties. And I mean, I, I was, I was ready to work 120 hours. I just loved it. And, uh, you know, little by little, you know, you look at it as a journey, not a destination. And before you know it, you know, doors are opening and I'm, shooting for companies and Realtree asked me to be a part of uh you know their video stuff and i was doing all the work for their celebrities and people they were having because real trees just based 45 minutes down the road and i was facilitating you know all their employees and the people that they would have hunting with them and then they asked me to play the character of t-bone with uh jeff foxworthy in 1999 and 2000 and about that same time i'm starting a family my wife my, my son Uh, You know, he was born in 2005 and kind of graduated from, or or switched gears, I should say, from target archery, still had my store, and then uh, started doing more stuff with television and boat hunting, and I never thought, you know, I, I come from humble beginnings, I never thought I'd be traveling around the country, you know, getting to hunt you know, with Realtree and stuff. and I, I was just proud that I was getting to flex the arrows of the people that were on TV I'm, and, and helping tune their bow and maybe in some way helping them be a, a little more proficient archer. So that was my, uh, you know, I, I just thought, well, I've made it as a redneck. You know, I've made it. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm fixing bows that are killing stuff in every state across the country. And then, man, the opportunity with David Blanton, Bill Jordan, and them asking me to be a part of Realtree and travel, I was just like, God, I was in hog heaven and then and uh, me, Michael, and Nick started Bone Collector in '07, and I sold my store in 2007. Just you know, the good Lord blessed me, and just all the stars aligned, and uh, you know, you know, here we are now. And you look back, and you blink your eyes, and when I started shooting competitive in '88, I'm like, wow, I, this has been a, a a really enjoyable ride. And I always like to say this when I tell my story. Uh, me and Michael always have this talk because Michael and Nick both come from humble beginnings too, because we're so blessed to get to do what we do and, and, and to have this platform and we, we stay humble by that. And it's not, it's not hard to do, but we always have this plan B conversation. Michael and I do. It's like, ah, you know, man, when we started Bone Collector, we thought, well, man, this might go for two or three years and then, you know, we'll move on to the next thing. You know, you don't know how it's going to do. You prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And you know, here we are 13 years later and still, you know, still d- doing good and, and able to do this for a living. And then at the plan B conversation is always like this. I'm like, gosh, if, if things fade away next year, I'm like, surely somebody will hire me to let me fletch errors in their shop. Or Michael's like, yeah, you know, he goes, my dad, Paul, he goes, he's still in good shape. He goes, I'm sure we can still hang sheetrock and, and and you know, run a construction crew. So I really think it and, and Nick was a barber before this. So we all have those conversations. It's like, man, you know, this is good, but we're, we're living the dream. It can't last forever. You know, just keep on going and going. And then, you know, then you think, well, if, if this goes, you know, at least I'll be able to fletch errors or work on, you know, twist somebody's string up in a shop. So I think it's real good that we do stay uh, grounded, so to speak, and, and, and appreciative of each year that we're given to, to, to live out our dream career. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Those humble beginnings. I mean, a lot of people who've had successes over the years and throughout their careers and life and stuff, you know, the ones that have those humble beginnings are the ones that seem to appreciate it the most because I mean, that's... Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't take anything for granted. You know, there's so many people, um, well, in, well in, in any industry they can let their ego go to it. They think that, you know, they, they, they kill one big deer or they, you know, they have a successful couple of shows and they think they've got it. And, and, you know, it's never going to fade away, but, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You got to live each day to the fullest and, and, uh, be appreciative of what, you know, God's given you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Keeping the ego in check is probably one of the hardest things to do because at that point you start involving your personal pride and nobody, that's, a, that's one of those enemies, the, the inside enemies that kind of take over before you realize it, because it can kind of masquerade itself as something that's the opposite of what it actually is. So. Dealing with that, keeping that pride in check and keeping that ego in check is probably one of the hardest things for a lot of people to be able to do, especially somebody who's in your position who's had the successes you've had. And that's got to, that's, I'm sure that's something that you got to deal with almost probably on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, your family and friends from around hometown, they'll, they'll keep you in check. You know, especially <laughs> if you, you got a bunch of redneck buddies that they're not afraid to throw chop you at any time.
1: <laughs> absolutely those those are the best ones to have the ones that'll, that'll keep you in check and let you know when you're getting out of line oh yeah exactly so before you got uh got into you know hunting with doing a lot of the bow hunting stuff with real tree were you doing any throughout high school or was that kind of your first crack at bow hunting were you doing it you know growing up and that kind of thing
0: yeah to go to go back into that you know i i my dad uh you know he he taught us um, you know, he kept us hunting and fishing, you know, squirrel hunting was our big thing, rabbit hunting. We would deer hunt a, a, a little bit, but not much. Um, and, and honestly, archery wise, that how I got started in it, it's kind of a funny story to to get you to 1988. I graduated high school in 86, but I I got my first bow when I was 10 years old. My dad bought me a recurve for good grades. And I probably, that was probably the last time I made good grades, but <laughs> got, motivation, got a, yeah. He got me a recurve. It was a 45 pound recurve. And, and, you know, dad was just getting me a, a bow. You know, he just wanted me to have a bow and didn't realize that a 45 pound recurve was going to be too much for a 10 year old. But, you anyway, know, I got the bow and I would bend the string. And, like so many kids, you know, I'd just point it up in the air and watch the air go, you know, two, three hundred yards up in the air and then fall back down. And I couldn't pull the bow all the way back. And the times I did get it kind of back, I'd slap my arm. So I had a, a bad experience into archery as a 10 year old. So, you know, I, I fiddled around with it for a couple of months, but I was like, man, this is not for me here. I am 10 years old and can't, you know, can't pull 45 pounds. So it was a negative experience. So, you know, you do a lot of changing from when you're 10 years old to you 18. So at, at 10 years old, I, I thought I couldn't pull 45 pounds. Well, I'm playing recreational football. I start playing football for middle school and playing for, uh, uh high school and, you know, I'm getting bigger and I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I think I remember I was bench pressing like 260, 65 pounds. But in my head, you know, I was still squirrel hunting and fishing and doing all the outdoor things through the through high school. But I didn't shoot a bow at all because in my head I couldn't pull 45 pounds. That's the impression I had, even though now I'm bench pressing, you know, a lot. and I'm a lineman for the high school football team. So my buddies, I got out of high school. I graduated. I'm 19 years old. And my buddies were fishing, and I, I just love fishing. They said, hey, man, you got you gonna bow hunt with us i got in a hunting club with them and i said nah man i ain't into bow hunting all you do bow hunting is just you with a bunch of animals it's always so hot you know that's ridiculous i'll just wait and we'll, we'll gun hunt i hadn't even killed a deer up to this point never killed a deer i just met him with a gun i just uh squirrel hunted and rabbit hunted and i'd go deer hunting but you know i, I hadn't killed one yet and uh they said, "Well, you know, we're fixing to quit fishing. You, you should probably get a bow and hunt, and you know, practice with us. That's what we're going to do in the afternoon." This is my high school buddies. We're out of we're out of high school now, so they talked me into getting a bow. I thought, "Well, I'll practice." And so I was worried. I went to the local sporting goods store. Three of my buddies went with me. We're sitting there at the at the archer counter, and I'm getting my bow set up. And then I, the whole time, I got anxiety. It's like, how am I going to pull this bow back? Because you know, I'm a weakling. That's what I'm thinking. And, and it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy that I'm thinking that I'm still 10 years old and can't pull 45 pounds. Never even tried to pull one of their bow back, nothing. So I'm going through the motions. It was an 80-pound bow, and the guy backed it down to 64 pounds as low as he could get it to go. And he said, all right, I need you to draw it back so I can set your peak sight and stuff. And I said, no, nah, that's all right. Just tie it in where you think it needs to be. I didn't want to do it. I, was wanting to, I didn't want to be embarrassed. I was going to try it at home where nobody was watching. So they're over there talking to a local guy that has a uh, archery range, uh, Dog River Archery. And uh, they were having 3D tournaments. Well, it wasn't 3D. Back then, it was paper targets. This is long before 3D target Had paper targets on Excelsior Bell. And he was telling my buddies all about the tournament that was coming up this weekend. You should come out and shoot. And, but I'm not even really paying attention. I'm just getting my bow set up. Set up my bow, I go home. And finally, I got to draw this thing back. It's like, Man, I've just spent, you know, 400-something bucks on a whole boat setup. and I hadn't even drawn it back yet. So it's on 64 pounds. I'm at my house, and I'm like, okay, here it is, the moment of truth. And I go, all right, one, two, three. And I, I about ripped the cams off the bow. I mean, it was almost like a, you know, I could hear the I could hear the angels singing, oh! <laughs> like, I am so freaking strong. I'm like, man, this is going to be great. You know, it's like all that negativity and all that, uh, Anxiety just walked out the window. I'm like, man, I pulled that easy. And, and it was stupid that I was thinking this way, absolutely. So uh, the next day, I went over to my buddy's house, and we shot and shot and shot. And I was doing pretty good. Got my bow sided in. We shot each day, and it was Saturday evening. And they said, hey, you going to go to the tournament with us tomorrow? And I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going to a tournament. I just got my bow Wednesday, and there's no way I'm going to it. They said, well, we've never shot either. Why don't you go with us? We'll see what it's all about we went over there, I didn't, when I heard archery tournament back in the 80s, late 80s, I'm thinking of a 100 guys on a line in white suits, you know, the pictures that you see in encyclopedias yeah. and stuff of someone shooting way down range. That's what I thought we were going to. That wasn't it at all. This was just like, it was a, you know, a 3D tournament where you walk through the woods, like a golf course, four or five buddies together, and you're seeing a different hunting situation every time. I was like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. I love this. So we shoot, and we go get through the course, and we're, we're tallying our scores. And out of my group, I won. I mean, I've owned a bow for five days, and I beat all my buddies. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, my day was made. So we turned our scores in, and lo and behold, there was like 30-something people in the beginning. We were shooting the beginner's division, and I won the whole tournament. owned a bow for five days. And I'm like, holy, man, I guess this is going to be something I'm good at. I never was good at football. I was just a big guy on the line. I might have found my niche in life so I won my first tournament that I ever shot and I just couldn't get enough of it from that day on I shot every tournament if it was within a hundred miles of my house I just immersed myself into archery learning more about the the, the mechanics of it and the, the you know working on it and trying to build a better mousetrap like a like a NASCAR behind the scenes but like a golf shot on the front side so i just couldn't get enough of it and and i, I won my first state championship as uh, in 1990 i killed my first deer there in in 88 uh i mean that year i killed three deer with a bow so and it, uh archery and me getting my first bow in 88 created a monster uh, for sure
1: <laughs> that's awesome that's really cool and you know i think a lot of people they have you know some of that early i guess uh I, don't know, I guess the kind of reservations that you were having. I know for me personally, I was having some reservations. One of my buddy, he told me I should come over and check out, you know, shooting a bow. I had some shoulder injuries and neck injuries and stuff with football. And I just, I was really skeptical that I would even be able to do it. So we set it on 55 pounds and I was able to do it, no issues. And then from there it's just like, all right, we I can do this thing. This is, this is yeah. something that I think can be, can be done. I can pull it back. And, you know, I think a lot of it looking back on is, that I was just using that really as an excuse for trying to prevent, embarrassing myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know exactly. It's so many people that way too. They, And,
0: and that's kind of what got me in, involved with Realtree and, and to where I am today. Like, like um, I told when I got involved with Realtree, like I knew my experience that I, I went seven or eight years of not doing a sport that I absolutely love. And I was so mad at myself because I got introduced to it wrong. So I said, my what I want to do to get back to the sport is I want to make sure that I'm not saying I'm archery God there's a great there's a bunch of great guys out there that are archery techs and but in, in my little piece of the world I want to be able to facilitate people to get a good introduction into archery and bow hunting so that they have a pleasant experience and they, they too can uh, relay it to the next person because getting set up with archery is so important it's like uh, buying a you know a, a tailored suit. It has to fit you the right drawing, the right poundage, so that you have a pleasant experience and that you're accurate. I told the guys at Realtree when they started coming in my store, you know, I talked had these candid conversations with David Blanton. I'm like, I see so many, and granted, this is back in the late 80s, I mean, uh, late 90s, but you see so many pictures of, uh, you know, photographies of bow hunting, and they'll be drawn back, and their drawing's too long, or there won't be a peep sight in there, and it's like, golly, you know you know at least take a professional foot you know it's a good photo good picture but make sure it looks authentic you know mm-hmm. to, to where the guy knows what he's doing you know maybe a kisser button or he's anchored in right or it looks like it's not just a model pulling back a bow it's, a, it's like a real bow hunting picture so i said you know david i know you got a lot of y'all have a lot of celebrities and country singers and uh you know um, baseball players and or what have you anybody that y'all would like you know i, I want to offer my services You know not to say that i'm again you know the archery god i just want to make sure that they get set up right and david said man that is awesome so you know like i would make sure that people's drawings right and i sold my store fast forward to head in 2006 and you know I, i don't have a retail store at all since then but even now i have an archery shop in my basement my wife and i we built our house in 2009 and and I, I made sure that the house was at least 80 feet long so that I could have an indoor range and an <laughs> archery down in the basement not open to the public but just for my own you know just because I love working on archery stuff and I still to this day set up about 50 bows a year and uh, m- my wife's like why do you still do this I like I love it and it's what brought me to the dance and uh like I, I had a uh, Gordon Beckham which is a second baseman for the uh, New York Mets. he's a uh, he's He's not on the Major League roster right now, but he's a 10-year veteran. He was just here uh, on Tuesday. He just worked on his bow. I got, you know, Phil Phillips' bow, and and people in the industry and friends and stuff. I mean, this time of year, nearly every day, we're spending two or three, four hours down there. And and, and I love it. I love to make sure that people can get the most out of it and, you know, see the joy when they do still kill a a critter. So as long as I can turn wrenches on a bow and and help folks out, I want to do that because it's, It's a joy and a passion. It's my way of giving back to the the archery industry that's that's done so much for me.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, how do going from you know somebody that is you know owning an archery shop and that kind of thing into you know working with celebrities and working with people who have a drive and working with athletes, people who have a natural competitive competitive drive. How do you instruct somebody that has? you know, that, that natural passion to, you know, want to strive and want to get better at something. And, you know, especially whenever they're dealing with something as technical and as new as, you know, archery.
0: Well, it's kind of, it's, to me, it's almost like, uh, you know, we can get so interested in, like, let's just take a baseball player, you know, it's like, wow, man, they're a professional baseball player. And it's not like I'm starstruck or anything, but, you know, they're a master of their craft, you know, they're the best of the best. And, and you know, I don't think of myself that way, uh, as like being the the master or or anything like that. You know, you know, I'm still the, you know, the the fat, slow high school football player that couldn't pull a bow in my my head. Which, again, it goes back to that Plan B. I'm humbled by that, but you can tell that they're like, like as you're spitting information because this is our life of archery you know, they're a sponge. They love, they love the fact that they're talk they're talking with someone that has, you know, basically thrown their whole life towards archery. So there's a mutual respect there, you know, amongst each other. So, um, and, and and they're good about that. You know, you can tell that, um, especially athletes, they're masters of their craft and they know that they have to learn this on a conscious level so that it becomes subconscious. And uh, man, I'm, and it's a hobby for them. It's a passion. It's almost like they're envious of of what we get to do for a living as much as we are of them. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, I guess it all becomes a job for each other, but there's envious of them. I will say this about Foxworthy. This is a feather in the cap for him. He came down, and, you know, this was early on, and he was wanting to get into archery. This was around 2000. And he came down to my shop when I had a shop. It was when we were closed. You know, I... Uh, I brought him in there so we'd have some privacy. Got him all set up, gave him some lessons outside, and I'm talking to him, and he's not really acting like he's paying attention. I'm thinking, you know, um, I'm getting big leagued, and this guy's really not pouring his heart into it. And you know, I, I, I'm probably saying all this stuff, and it's just going in one ear and out the other. He's not going to remember it. And like getting him started, I said, you know, after a month, he shot at two or three hundred shots. Come back, we'll go over everything again, make sure the bow's still set, and, and do another lesson. When he came back a month later you know, I told you he's, he's not really paying attention. You know, I didn't think he was paying attention or was just halfheartedly kind of going through the motions. He word for word, basically spit out and did everything we talked about the first time we met. He's got a photographic memory. And after, after that fact, I worked with him a bunch of times, you know, when we were filming things and they could tell him a line, they could just say like, you know, Hey, I'm going to go down, go downtown, get a, a bushel of apples, and I'll bring them back to the house. And and he could read it one time, hear it one time, and spit it and give the right um, uh, mannerism to it and inflections perfect every time. I mean, I've never seen nobody like it, so um, I I had him all wrong. I thought he was, you know, the big-time star, half-heartedly learning archery, and, man, he, he, he was sponging everything I was telling him that first day.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's, I guess, somebody in his position. I mean, he would have to have a brain that kind of works that way, and in order to yeah. have the kind of successes that he's had.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, he's phenomenal. to Watch when we do commercials and stuff. It's like he's working ten times faster than anybody else there. But it seems you know you would think that how he's so uh, rested and relaxed and lackadaisical <laughs> that you think like, oh man, this is going to take all day, and he's knocking it out, and and half the time you would think it would
1: yeah so you know for the average joe how important is it for them to find somebody who's an instructor and find somebody that they can look up to that they respect you know maybe it's somebody at an archery shop or maybe it's you know a a buddy maybe it's a friend Uh, How how important is it to have somebody that you can bounce you know archery ideas and um you know have somebody to critique you and be able to teach you i think
0: that's that's a great question and that's a great point tyler i think that um I think that's the number one stepping stone into becoming a better archer or improving yourself, Uh, almost like a a local club or clique uh, to get in with so that you can bounce ideas off because it works better rather than trying to do it yourself. Unfortunately, you know, in in this era, we have Google, we have the internet, you can find about anything, but you really don't know what's, what's the truth. And then you have so many people on social media that want to be an archery instructor, but you don't you know they may be a 21 year old kid that's just not afraid to talk and they might be spitting out the wrong information so you don't know what to filter as what is good information and what is not i strongly and my with with archery i can't stress enough how important it is to support your local independent pro shop uh, most of the time, these are mom-and-pop shops. I mean, not that, not that the mass merchant stores aren't important. However, if you're wanting to get that good quality, set-up service, um, the independent uh, retailers, the ones that's been in business for a while, are the ones that you want to support. I know that if you shop online, and, and I, you know, I'm telling your whole audience this, if you shop online, yeah, you're going to save a few pennies. But is it really worth it if you want to support your local independent pro shop let's just say you had to pay an extra $5 for that target rather than what you got online, but you're helping that guy stay in business. And how much a wealth of knowledge and how much joy do you get going to your local shop and getting the fellowship with other archers, bow hunters, and hunters, and all the knowledge that you get from being in there, hanging out, talking to the owner, and getting set up. So I can't stress enough how important it is to support your local independent pro shops because of, all the things that you get and you're going to learn about the clubs just like i did you know when my my first uh time getting a bow we learned about the local 3d club you get to go to the clubs and shoot you get to learn which archers are ones that are more seasoned and more uh veterans and things that you can pick up maybe from the old guys there that are you know 50 60 70 years old that are at the archery range yeah they may not be uh, Busting first and second place just because of their age now, but I guarantee you they've got a wealth of knowledge from thirty or forty years of flinging eras that they can really help you um, way more than anything you can read on the internet. So yeah, the, and and you know being with like-minded folks is uh, so enjoyable and it just helps your passion grow. So support the local clubs, support the local independent dealers. I mean you can't you can't buy everything from them, and and it's it's okay to shop, but when you can please support them because that's where you're getting the majority of your knowledge and uh, good quality knowledge.
1: Yeah. Admittedly, I have to admit that I've done a little bit of all that and, you know, you know I've looked at YouTube, I've looked at social media, different folks. And, um, you know, I've, I've gone to those big box stores that offer a quote unquote archery pro there. And I've also gone to local shops and, you know, the, the amount of customer service you're going to get and the amount of knowledge that you're going to be able to share, you know, with, somebody there in a local shop in a local mall and pop shop it's just i mean it's it's unprecedented compared to you know the other options that's absolutely you know from what i can tell in my experience um that's definitely definitely true
0: yep yeah um and and there are you know there are a bunch of uh you know people that you may want to follow you know uh, once you can you know read through the quality information you know there are a lot of folks that you can follow and get good solid information on social media and or youtube but um you know a lot a lot of times um i, I try to stay away from the forums and stuff like that I, I read through them from time to time and i see people just giving out you know i, I don't know what keyboard uh technicians or whatever they're giving out <laughs> information that's not necessarily good you know they they may regurgitate something that they heard three times down the, the line and they really don't know the, the backbone of what they're saying they're just know they heard it and they they don't have a good explanation of why it's this way
1: yeah definitely definitely I, you see that a lot yeah. with the with a lot of different things and you know it's unfortunate that there's you know i guess it's good in a way because there's, it you know it gives us the opportunity to be able to share information but at the same time there's going to be a lot of misinformation out there because of that especially when it comes to you know something like we're saying as, as technical as as archery to kind yeah. of switch gears on you a little bit, um, I wanted to ask you. You know, being somebody who is a comp- who was a competitor or competitive archer, and then of course being somebody who's a bow hunter as well, you know, what kind of similarities throughout the process of preparing for a shoot, preparing for a hunt, um, the actual shooting and hunting process. You know, what are some similarities that you have found between those two kind of arenas?
0: Competitive archery, well, which is shooting, period. Uh, you know, I like to compare archery to two different sports, um, and I'm, I might have mentioned this earlier: NASCAR and golf. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is because with our equipment, you know, you can always change weights of arrows, vein types, uh, arrow rest. You can you can keep tuning just like you would on a NASCAR, trying to get the fastest or the you know the most uh, efficient car that you have. Same way with a bow, you want something that's going to be forgiven but yet penetrate well you know there's all kinds of different scenarios so that that part of it's the nascar now the golf um i love watching golf just because of this it's the closest sport to archery competitive archery and the reason why is you want to suppress your nervous energy there's it's golf and archery are, are two sports that i know of that you want you don't want to call up that adrenaline to get all the mass strength so that you're you know in football baseball basketball something like that you want to suppress that nervous energy you just want to use a real calm empty mind don't let the nerves get to you you want to just use enough muscles and uh, to, to get the job done by lifting the bow and holding the bow back you don't want to you know really pour a lot of muscles into it and cause a lot of shakes and and stuff so you want the archery shot to be like a gymnastic routine basically like how do you tie your shoes? You don't. You don't even think about it. You just bend down and you tie your shoes. You just know how to tie a knot. Well, you want the archery shot breaking it down into twenty or thirty parts. I mean, even as much as your stance, your you know arm positions. Uh, the only thing that you can think of at the time of the shot, you know, when you get down to the aiming sequence, is uh, you know aim. That's it. You can't think of two things at one time. You just want everything else to be on autopilot. So in competitive archery you want to become like a machine so that you duplicate the same thing every time well the same thing you want whenever uh uh, a hunting shot comes you want you don't want to have to think about anything you just want to be on autopilot and you know basically black out and wake up over a gut pile that's what you're wanting to do so (laughs) so uh um i i use it as you know you want to suppress your nervous energy you know and, and practice like you were hunting like Like uh, waking up in the morning and before you go out to work, instead of sitting out there in the evening and shooting 60, 70, 80 arrows, which is good, you know, that's good when you can and having fun with your buddies. you wake up in the morning and take your, take six arrows and you you got a three target or what have you in your backyard and before you walk to your car, you shoot your six arrows, pour your heart and soul in there. Not, not, you know, uh, not quantity shots, but quality shots, not, not practice makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. And pour your heart and soul into it. Like, you're not going to get 20 shots when you're in a deer stand. When the buck, when the buck comes out or the doe comes out or, or what have you, you got a nanosecond that you got to make a decision and pour your heart into it. You know, bring up those, uh, those emotions and those, that adrenaline and, and the thought and say, this is it. If I don't hit that dot before I walk to my car, I'm not going to be able to stop at McDonald's and get that coffee and put some you know make it make it like my mom is gonna give me a hundred dollars if I hit that knot you know put put a little bit of make it make it a a value I guess you can say put a little, make it interesting pull up those emotions and and practice that way and and competition does that too I mean like when you go to a 3d tournament or if you're just kicking around in the backyard you know with your buddies and it's like okay 70 yards we've got a coke can down there whoever's closest to the center of it or or hits it you know uh, they don't have to go pull their arrows or something like that. You know, just <laughs> those kind of things uh, are, relate to a, a, a an archery shot. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, whether you're shooting for $10,000 or, you know, a 170-inch buck, it, there's going to be nerves there, and you've got to learn to press those nerves. And then there's a calming and a confidence when you're in this tree stand. It's like, man, I've been practicing for the last two months. I've probably got at least 3,000 arrows under my belt this is going to be a chip shot. Just if you say that to yourself, you know, don't be overconfident, but to know that you're going to feel a lot better knowing you've shot 3000 errors over the last two months, rather than just saying, well, I should have been practicing. I, me shooting 30 errors before season is not going to cut it right now. So you, you want, you want to, to be able to handle those nerves. You know, you're going to feel more confident in it once you got uh, more shots under your belt.
1: Yeah. I think that that is probably one of the biggest things that a lot of people that are in you know, first getting into archery and really getting into just about anything, as we mentioned, also golf and anything that's overly technical is that dealing with the pressure once the moment actually arrives. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people, they'll, they'll put themselves in scenarios like you were mentioning, where uh, you basically got to gotta simulate the pressure that you're going to have, or as uh, getting as close to simulating the pressure that you're going to have, you know, whenever that deer walks out, or if you need to hit, hit the dot, you know, from 40 yards or whatever the, whatever the uh, scenario may be. But basically putting that pressure on you and, you know, of course doing it in a safe way. I've, I've seen people that are shooting down hallways in their homes. So they don't, you know, put a hole in their drywall or something. That's probably not the best scenario, (laughs) but basically putting yourself in situations where you're going to, you know, have to have to perform at a high level. And I think that's, that's something that you know, I've seen with myself and something I've seen with all kinds of people that you have a different level of confidence whenever that, that animal does walk out. Absolutely. Because, uh, the
0: way that plays out sticks with you for your life. And that, and, and honestly, that's why we hunt is for that nano seconds of, you know, the, 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 buck fever or the deer coming in. And all this is adding to the pride factor, meaning like you hung the stand, you picked the tree you, you were hunting over this persimmon tree, the deer came in like you thought, you didn't, you know, all these things are checklists, and man, I practiced for two months, my broadheads are sharp, my arrows are straight, I got the right release. All these things, little little tiny splitting of hairs, add to the pride factor that you're gonna remember for your rest of your life. And you know, it's a, it's a lot like, the more you put in, the more you get out. Mm-hmm. You know, I so many times I've been on a hunt, I mean, And I struggle with this, just being a big guy. I'm like, man, I wish I'd have lost some weight, more weight. You know, I'm on this elk hunt and I'm sucking wind like crazy. And I'm like, gosh, I should have been losing weight, you know, all summer long. It's the same way with whether you're, you know, uh, man, I should have got a new pair of boots. These things are leaking. Now I'm sitting here with wet feet. You know, all these things are checklists. And the biggest thing is during the moment of truth, am I going to be able to make the, the, the shot? It all boils down to this you know, the, the release going off, the arrow in flight, did I pick the right nanosecond to release that arrow? All those things come down to, like, everything moves in fast motion, and then all of a sudden it's like a, a, an action movie, super slow motion, the matrix, the arrow's in the air, and it's like, is it going to work? This is a deciding factor. Is it a, is it a fail, or is it a success?
1: Yeah, and that's, that's the thing that I just absolutely love about the hunting process, is just, is the fact that it is a process, you know, it's going to, it's a process that really starts at the end of the previous season. I mean, you've got to start, start getting prepared for the next season. Once the last season ends and you know, it, it comes with everything you just said It's just making sure that you have, you know, everything in place for that one moment. You know, it's a, it's kind of like a marathon and not a sprint. Cause if, if you, if you aren't prepared whenever that deer or elk or whatever it is walks out, it's going to show with your shot and it's going to show with how you perform in that exact moment.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the older I get, it seems like I take it to the umph degree, like, you know, like a uh, plant food plots, cutting limbs. I mean, like I, I've been working since we've been at home for the last three months preparing property and stuff. And I, gosh, I absolutely love that. My, my wife calls it diesel therapy, but <laughs> just like trying to manage the land and, and then, and then, you know, sometimes I have a reality check. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I'm doing all this for a deer, but it's really more than just a deer. It's more than just, I mean, you're it's, it's basically a daytime pride factor entertainment value. I mean, you're getting more out of it than just, you know, the cherry on top of it. I got a deer. You're getting, you know, 365 days worth of pure enjoyment over the whole process, like you said.
1: Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, you know, with it being right now the beginning of august this is this episode is going to of course post in the middle of august but what are some things that folks can kind of work on you know right now with archery seasons coming up if they haven't already started then they definitely need to kick it in gear but you know what are some things that people can do you know right now i know here in kentucky our archery season starts at the beginning of september some places it's beginning of october so you know with with the clock ticking what are some things that people can do
0: well, hopefully, you know, uh, most folks have already started shooting. Usually it seems like, especially when I had a retail store, it seemed like July 4th was, you know, the, the, it's, it seems like that's when everybody switched gears. It's like, hey, we've got the family vacation over with in June. Get the been out for it. It's all right. All right. Now mama's happy. I did my family vacation. Got the summertime chores done. I'm fixing to focus on the, you know, the hunting land and my, and my, my bow and stuff like that. But, uh, a little bit more of what i was just telling you you know hopefully you, you check your bow you know make sure if you haven't done it already check your strings check your serving um if you're not if you don't feel comfortable with doing that yourself take it to that independent pro shop like i was telling you have it checked out real good um you know get those replaced don't wait till you know a week before season because you want to make sure you get plenty of new shots on the new strings and you know your comfort and your uh confidence level needs to be extremely high come come season so you're on autopilot and plus the, the archer shops are going to get really really busy close to the, as it gets to season so you know the the earlier the better as far as you know getting your product your, all your new stuff you know if you want a dozen arrows and stuff like that get what you're going to be shooting and then uh you know if you want you know if you're having a good day with the guys you know and shooting 60 78 arrows having fun that's that's fine and dandy but on a on a uh consistent practice schedule try to schedule yourself you know 10 maybe 20 hours a day and that's all it has to be uh and let's just say you work um you know you work first shift and you can't you can't you know you're you're not at home until dark or whatever set up a target even if it's at five yards you know in your basement or you know just uh, under your carport something like that and just fire just execute you know close your eyes or put a put a piece of tape over your sight to stand there at five yards and just work that muscle memory just to execute some shots and uh you'll, you'll be so much more better prepared when it does come time to you know getting the aim a little bit you know that's that's kind of the easy part is doing the aim and it's the execution that you want to be um uh, on autopilot basically muscle memory takes over to where you don't have to think about it so you know try to try to get some kind of shooting in at least you know every other day even if it's just 10 or 15 arrows just to work those muscles because a lot of times those are muscles that we don't use but for, you know, archery. Uh, if you're pushing a pencil or typing on a keyboard, you're not really flexing the muscles you need to shoot a boat. <laughs> Make sure that you uh, you get to work them as much as you can.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it just goes back to exactly what we were talking about before. It's just that, you know, practicing with intention and making sure that, you know, we're getting prepared for the hunting season right now. I know I'm, I'm excited. I, I live in Kentucky and our archery season, it opens up almost a month from today that we're recording this. So I'm, yeah. real, I'm doing a lot of those same things. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get out and shoot. I'm not shooting every day like I should be, but I am shooting, you know, at least a few times a week and just trying to get out and getting ready for that.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, all my relatives are from Kentucky. I mean, I don't mean to get off on it, but from what I understand, and maybe you could maybe you could help me out on that. I think they have, don't they have a two week quarantine still in place?
1: Well, we've got uh, right now we have a mask mandate, which I think is actually supposed to expire in here in a few days. But, um, you know, we've got some some things going on as far as what our our governor's trying to implement to help, you know, I, I guess with the with the transmission issues. And there's, you know, issues with the crowds and crowd size and that kind of thing. But as far as the, the quarantine goes, pretty much if you don't have to get out, then try not to. And I think that's kind of how the what they got implemented right now.
0: Yeah, because uh, you know I usually open up in Kentucky, and all my relatives are from there, and I was wanting to open up in Kentucky this year. But from what I understand, they had a two-week quarantine. I, I got to check into that. Me and Michael was just talking yesterday, and uh, it, you know if I'm able to come up there, uh, you know without a quarantine, I, I, w- I would love to come and open up and uh, open, you know, mm. be over there opening day. Because probably yeah. one of the best states. Which I don't mean to drive people to Kentucky for you, but. <laughs> It's one of the best states to, to get a velvet buck, you know, east of the Mississippi.
1: Yeah, but yeah, over the summer we did have a, um, I, I guess they called it like a travel ban or something. Basically, if you weren't, if you weren't from the state, you could only come in if it was work related. But I think at this point, I think that's pretty well gone, as far from my understanding as far as what we got going on right now. I think the biggest thing right now is just the the crowd sizes, which of course, if you're hunting, that's not an issue. And then um, yeah. they have the public mask mandate, which Again, I think that's supposed to expire here in the, here in the next few days is, is my understanding of it as well. Good, good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, of course, mentioned practicing and everything, but, of course, there's the technical side of it as well, and that's the, you know, sighting in your bow. I think that's one thing that I know personally I struggle with, and that's something that I know you've posted several things on Instagram about how to sight in your bow. So what is the most, I guess, the most efficient and the the easiest way for somebody to sight in their bow and get it ready to actually shoot and fire at an animal.
0: Okay, Um, I'm I'm just going to assume, well, it doesn't matter if you're shooting a slider sight, a movable one-pin sight, or a a fixed-pin sight. This is the way I like to sight in my bow. Um, If if it's a high-end sight that's capable of being leveled, you know, uh, first axis, second axis, and third axis. Third axis allows you to level the sight to where you can shoot up and downhill. And what I mean by that, first axis is how it travels uh, from the top pin to the bottom. Uh, we're talking about a movable sight there. Mm-hmm. And your higher-end sights are capable of being leveled. You level your sight on the first axis. Second axis is level to where when you're shooting, let's just say you're on a football field, that you're holding the bow square so that it is actually level at 20 as it is at, say, 80 or 90 or 100. Um, so that you're level throughout the whole thing, and that's, that's second axis, where it's just simply level. And third axis is where it's level if you're aiming up and down, because you can have your bow level second axis unless you say you're in a tree stand and you go to point down at a 45-degree angle. The bubble will show, it will show you it's in the middle, but it actually forced you to camp the top limb to the left or the right, and it will cause you to shoot out left or right, based on which, uh, you know, if your top 10 is lean to the left, it's going to shoot to the left. If it's lean to the right, it's going to shoot to the right. So it's real important, especially for those out west, shooting uphills and downhills at really long distances. It's not that crucial, you know, for a 30-yard or undershot out of a tree stand. It's not that crucial. However, you know, let's go back to splitting hairs, you know, everything that you can do You know, if you can tighten your group on everything a half inch, you know, before you know it, you went from a six inch group to a three inch group, that's more forgiving and therefore that's more accurate. So once you've got your sight all level, you know, your sight's level 360 degrees on your bow and your independent retailer, uh, your pro shop should have a level, you know, a, a sight leveler, or if you don't, you can take a torpedo level and hold it to your bow or a door frame and make sure that your sight is level to your bow. So that when you're holding your bow level, the sight shows that you're level. So assuming your sight is level now, this is what I like to do. Um, take your target and you take a, a, another torpedo level. And instead of aiming at dots, which you can aim at dots, but this is the way I like to do it. Instead of aiming at dots or small squares or something like that, I take a, 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 a level. We're, we're going to sight in our, you know, you're going to get your left and arm ballpark wise. Uh, right off the bat, you know, you put a line vertical, and you do it with a level. The reason you do it with a level is because if you just draw a line on there, and if it's not square, then when, you, when you're you holding on that line, it's not going to give you the, 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 the correct levelness. So take a piece of one-inch uh, masking tape, draw you draw a line with a Sharpie, and then put the tape with that so that you know that it's square up and down vertical, and then you're going to do you another line left and right. And they don't have to make an X, so it's not like I'm telling you to aim in the, where those two cross. So, first off, your first shot, just shoot, you know, at 10 yards, make sure that you're kind of close to that line that's running vertical, so that your left and right, you will hit the target. And then, on the, the horizontal line, that's where we're going to sight our yardage in, so that you have good yardage marks. And everybody starts at 20, and, uh, and this is this is important in my eyes. Is you start at twenty, everybody has always started twenty, but I like to start at thirty or forty. Now I don't mean that like just go out there and you know, you know, pray to God that you you hit the target because you know I know that I know that you know your first shot at forty and you haven't ever shot your bow yet is it, going to be kind of scary. It's like oh man, I hope I don't miss this target. Stand at ten or twenty and get get your you know place your top pin in the top third of your aperture so that you've got plenty of room for your other pins to fall into place below it so once you get that top pin set not 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 set by you know set it without even shooting it and then what you do is taking gang adjust the gang adjust is what you you can move all of your pins at one time on the side so when you loosen up one screw you're you're moving the whole aperture and you're basically adjusting all the sights at one time so when we set our 20 yard pin or just to get the aperture centered where we want it, we're gonna do it by gang adjustment. So you automatically set your 20 yard pin, lock it down, and then gang adjust by aiming at that line. And when you're aiming at this line that I'm talking about, the horizontal line, all you're worried about is staying up and down. You don't have to worry about uh, floating left and right. It doesn't really matter. So therefore you're taking some of your nervous jumps out of it and you can just float on that line. So when you float on the line, just shoot at 20 yards and make sure that you're close, a little bit close to the line. You don't have to be on it because we're going to come back to that. Now we know that the bow, we're going to hit the target. We're not going to miss. We don't have a fear of it. We can make a good shot at 30 or 40 yards. Now back up to 30 or 40 yards and move that second pin into place. And you, you we'll just say 30 yards. Then you, then you shoot at 30 yards and then you move that pin to where it's On the line and what the line tells you is you shoot six arrows you're gonna know right off the bat if you're honest with yourself you're gonna see that say four of those are above it and then two of them are in it well that would tell me the majority rules that hey I'm hitting a little high so I need to bump that sight uh, up a little bit to get me in the line you want it to where the majority of them are in that horizontal line and once you get that lock that 30-yard pin down now the reason I tell you to shoot the 30-yard pin or the 40-yard pin first and calling it home base is because bows today are so fast. Most of the time, if you're shooting like 265 feet per second on up to 330 feet per second, most people cannot shoot the difference between, say, 15 yards and 26, 7, 8 yards. Your 20-yard pin will cover all that up. So if you sight your first pin in at 20, it may be 15. You can't shoot the difference in it. Or it may be 28 but no matter how fast the bow is it's it's dropped a little bit and you have more variance at 30 and 40 yards so that you can really fine tune because it will definitely show up if you're a yard or two off it'll show up too high or too low where you can hardcore set that and then when you walk back to do the walk backs up to do the 20 yard you can fine tune it and get it exactly on 20 yards that I hope that makes sense it's
1: yeah it of does. yeah
0: hard to explain on the phone but that way you know you're you're getting uh your, your your most important yardage is 20 if we just had one pin set at 20 and you never shot a deer past 30 you could shoot one pin and be okay but the ones that we need to be set exactly right are your 30 and your 40 and your 50 because those are you know a higher percentage of a shot you're gonna magnify the flaws in your form and you may miss so we want those set correctly. So that's why I always call home base 30 and 40. And then once you get your gap set, and, and I stress this too, don't try to do it all in one day because fatigue will set in and you mm-hmm. won't be make this quality a shot. You know, Get two pins set today, come out there fresh, shoot your five shots, get loosened up, and then start setting the rest of them. Take, take a couple of days to get your 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 set. Then once you have your gap set, you'll never have to touch that gap again. You can gang adjust on the sides, unless you change the arrow weight or the speed of the bow. Then you'll have to fine tune everything.
1: Yeah, that's really helpful because you know I've seen so many people, myself included, who have they've tried to use the dot on the target to sight in their bow. But like you were saying, as you're starting to shoot more, if you're especially if you're trying to do it all in one day, your your pin's going to be floating around all. all a lot more because you're going to be getting tired your your shot's not going to be as clean just because of course you're getting tired and yeah. you know the, the idea of having the line I saw that on there and I thought man that's that's brilliant because that's something I never thought of before and you know the idea of having the level line is perfect because it, it can show you if you're shooting high if you need to adjust your pin because you're shooting high or if you're shooting low and, and I thought that was just a, a brilliant way of, of doing it I guess that's why while you're in the position you're in
0: (laughs) yeah um it and and when you're shooting at a dot you're trying to hold the bow steady 360 degrees so like if you float to one o'clock you jerk it back down so you're, you're you're not just worried about up and down you're worried about 360 degrees now once i get the bow sighted in with those lines what i like to do and this is this is silly but this is something this is what i like to do rather than drawing a you know, like, let's just say a 50% piece black dot on there is I like to cut a one inch square out of the cardboard. I like, I like shooting at cardboard. Like I have a big four foot target and I put a piece of cardboard on it. And the reason I like the cardboard is the cardboard holds the arrow. So many of us have bag targets. But when you shoot a bag target, your arrow goes in and then it droops down. And then you're concerned about hitting the side of the arrow or, you know, you look down mm-hmm. there. I'm, I'm all about instant gratification so that my so that I'm gaining confidence the whole reason you practice is to gain confidence. So if I've got cardboard in the target, my my arrow goes through the cardboard into the target and it, and it goes in perfectly straight. How many times have we ever shot into a bag target which stops the arrow well, but you look down there you take a glance you know at, at 30 yards and with your naked eye or you, you throw up your binoculars right quick and you're looking at the knots and the knots look like it's an eight inch group but then when you walk down there, really a four inch group Mm -hmm. that because your arrows are actually kind of sprayed out you know and then when you get down there it's like oh man for the last five minutes i've been thinking that i shot an eight inch group i'm not shooting good and now i have to rechange my emotions because i'm actually shooting a little group better than i than i am with that cardboard it gives you instant uh, gratification or instant feedback as to how you're actually hitting so you don't go through that wide range of emotions of I'm doing good. I'm doing bad. I'm not doing that good. Oh, yeah, I am doing good. You know, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. And do you put it, do you actually, like, secure it onto the back target, or is it a separate uh, piece of cardboard that's, you know, standing in front of it?
0: it ideally, you want dead airspace so that the cardboard's okay. great. If you can, put it about four inches in front of the target, if you can. Um, a lot of times I'll build a frame, so I just staple it to the, the wood frame, mm-hmm. and then it's out in front of it. So when the arrow goes in, it's perfectly straight. So a tight group looks like a tight group. You get instant feedback. Now, this is another thing that I do is to increase that speed of great feedback, positive feedback, is I cut that one-inch square. Okay, so if I hit that one-inch square, like as I'm cutting a shot loose, shooting good back tension, you're not following the arrow. You don't know when the shot's going off. You execute a shot. It's a surprise. So basically, you you don't you can't see the arrow going in there. You know, I don't have time to react. I have to look and see the knock in the target. But I can get quicker feedback if I'm shooting at a a, a hole in the target. Like if I hear it go pop, then I know I hit the cardboard. But if I hear it go, I know I hit the. I mean, it's instant gratification. It's like yeah. if I hear it go, that means I hit the I hit the square, and it's just like yes, instantly. So it's a great feeling. It's it's like instantly I know I hit that square. I don't have to look. I can do it all by here. I just go, boom! I hit that hole. But if I hear pop, I know I was around it, you know. And I can still see I got a tight group. But if I hear, uh, you know, if I shoot six shots and four of them hit the black hole instantly, without even walking down there, without even picking up my binoculars, I know, holy crap! I just nailed it. I nailed it. I nailed it. And and I, that seems trivial, I know, but that's the thought process I have, and that helps me as far as gaining confidence and having great practice sessions, the more black holes I hit, the better I feel, you know, and, it, and it, there is no defining line. It's like, well, that ain't a bad group. It's like, no, either you're in that hole or you're out of that hole. There's no in between.
1: Right. Yeah. That, that immediate feedback, it, it does, you know, it does play a huge role in you know, like you were saying, your emotions and everything too. Cause I mean, you can see that in, in really just about anything that anybody practices at, especially, you know, archery and that kind of thing is, having that immediate feedback it it's it's seems to be you know certainly i think that's why people they use the binoculars to look down range immediately so they can see exactly what it is and see how they need to adjust and you know by adding that cardboard it seems to to make it easier on you
0: oh yeah yeah and and it it makes the errors go in straight too because there's nothing worse than having a i mean there's so many reasons but you have a droopy error and then you shoot that second error and then you cut that error in half and uh, all of a sudden, you, you uh, just lost $10 and you can't supersize your Happy Meal.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely. So, I wanted to touch on one more thing with you. It was uh, uh, choose an arrow. So, how, how can, what kind of resources do you uh, recommend for people that are trying to, you know, figure out which arrow they need to have for, let's say, whitetail, or if they need to have a different arrow for elk? Uh, what kind of resources do you su- do you suggest because i mean the charts are all over the place as far as you know recommending grain and all that kind of thing so what do you suggest as far as choosing the right arrow for the animal you're hunting
0: um i am a it, it, well there's a lot of different scenarios meaning whether you're a, a, a woman a, a child or depending on what poundage and how efficient your bow is um i'm a big proponent of and i've I've preached this for years long before it was even uh you know a a topic was uh, foc i'm real big on heavy arrows i'm not gonna say like extremely cape buffalo heavy arrows but for north american big game uh you know i i I like a heavy arrow and i like um, heavy foc foc is front of center percentage of balance Um, a good analogy of how FOC helps is let's just say I had a mop handle, a a five foot long mop handle, and I took and I slung it. You know, it's going to go end over end and end over end because it's equally weighted from front to back. All right. Then I take that same mop handle and I put a two pound ball on one end and I sling it with the same energy and the same force. We, We know just from physics that that mop handle will not make a rotation because it'll be flying through the air like thor's hammer Mm -hmm. where that um it's i'm not going to use the right terminology because i'm i'm not a a physicist but (laughs) my redneck redneck analogy is it's almost being pulled through the air because the the mass weight that's on there once that uh weight is set in motion the light mop handle follows the heavy weight that's on the end of the mop handle. same way goes with an arrow so you can't have too heavy because if you have too much weight on the front you break down the spine and the the responsiveness of the arrow so if you are playing with if you're looking at charts by all means look at the charts of whatever manufacturer arrow that you're using then you want to err on the stiff side. So many people get caught up in speed, and they say, well, I'm right on the line of shooting a 340 spined arrow and a 400. Well, I'm just going to go with the 400 because it's lighter. Well, a two-week of an arrow is is a big problem, whereas in my opinion, and and I, I haven't had anybody give me a great explanation on this, but if you're shooting a release and a shoot-through style rest, you know, a drop-away rest or a whisker biscuit or you know 95% of all the rest that we shoot as a release archer in my opinion you can't shoot too stiff of an arrow because the stiffness of the arrow actually absorbs the energy of the bow you know so once you're achieving the correct stiffness I don't think that you can shoot too stiff of an arrow so I always err toward the too stiff of an arrow especially if you're going to be playing with heavier inserts to increase your foc because the more weight you put on the front it breaks down the spine of the arrow and it makes a you know if normally you've got a 20 grain insert on there and then all of a sudden you put a hundred grain insert on there coupled with your field point that mass weight whenever you load it up with the energy from the bow makes the arrow bend and it'll turn a 340 spined arrow normally would would make it weaker because you have mass weight on the front so always air towards too stiff of an era, and there you therefore you won't make a uh, a tuning uh, decision that'll that that you will regret by shooting too weak of a spine. Um, that that's number one. Whether you're going for FOC or not, always err towards the too stiff. And if you are going to play the FOC game, I would always upgrade to. If it says shoot a three hundred and forty, uh, and you're going to FOC uh, increase the insert weight, then I would go one step above and probably shoot a three hundred. Uh, spined arrow. Um, FOC increases the mass weight, but it, but not only does it increase the mass weight, but it puts it at the front of the arrow to where it's forgiving in the wind. FOC helps you in the wind. It helps you as far as forgiveness. You know, the, the jitters that we have and the mm-hmm. torque that we may have, it makes your flaws not as uh, magnified. Um, it puts more mass weight in the arrow. And, and just like if you built a 500 grain arrow with eight percent foc and a 500 grain arrow with 18 percent foc they weigh the same so you think that they're going to penetrate the same the higher foc is going to penetrate better because the mass weight is going to get through the animal quicker and it's going to pull the remainder of the arrow through the through there so it, it helps as far as tuning forgiveness and definitely wind and in penetration so you know if we're checking off the pros and cons there's very few cons in shooting it so many people get caught up with speed, um, and, and that that's the downfall. Meaning like if you um, you should take the, the the energy and the efficiency of the bow that is so uh, you know, they, they publicize these speeds, they shoot three hundred and thirty feet a second, IBO legal, seventy pound, three hundred and fifty grain era at thirty inch raw. We should take the innovations and the efficiency of these new bows and put them towards a real forgiving and a quiet arrow like the heavier it is the quieter the bow the more forgiving it's going to be the, the quieter it's going to shoot the quieter it is in flight it penetrates more there's just so many pros to that if so many people get caught up in speed they're thinking like i need to be shooting 330 for a second so this deer won't jump the string um through testing you know, I, I think 280, you know, let's just say you're an average guy that's pulls, you know, 65 to 75 pounds, uh, and you're, you know, a 29-inch draw. I think if you can get a 500-grain arrow flying anywhere from like 260 to about 290 feet per second, that is an excellent, excellent arrow. That's top of the chart. You don't have to do that, but when you're shooting 330 feet per second versus 200 and, say, 70 feet per second, you have to go... Beyond forty yards, to see the tightness in your pin gap, and you're not gonna you're not gonna outrun the deer's reaction of dropping the string. So the speed is not gonna help you, and it's actually making your bow noisier and less forgiving. So therefore, your groups open up, which accuracy is always gonna win out over speed. So I, I, if if I could you know make it to where more people would understand that that you know shooting a in a slow, forgiving, heavy hitting, making your bow quiet is way more important than a fast miss. A slow hit is better than a fast miss. I got to get a shirt with that on there. That's,
1: that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very yeah. helpful, and that's that's a great way of putting it. That helped me understand FOC a lot more because you know you you hear that phrase all the time, FOC in front of center. But you know, I think the way you explained it was perfect for for a lay person like myself to be able to understand it because the way I, I kind of visualized it was if you throw like a pebble and hit somebody with it, it's not going to hurt. Even if you throw it fast, it's not going to hurt nearly as much as if you throw like a baseball sized rock at somebody, you know, yeah. even if it's a little bit slower, it's still going to hurt a lot more because there's more weight to it.
0: That's right. Yeah. It's like a, it's, it's momentum. It basically there's been a, uh, Dr. Ashby, if you'll look up the Ashby Foundation, all his research is is unbiased. Um, It's just a phenomenal wealth of knowledge. Actually, I'm going to be doing some posting on uh, Dr. Ashby. I I was uh, fortunate enough, he visited friends right here, and he came to my store several times. And, um, you know, I mean, he's got so much information on FOC and heavy arrows and uh, single bevel broadheads. And, and, you know, if you're into penetration and, uh, you know, having the most efficient, killing sticks he's got a wealth of knowledge about it but um yeah the forgiveness is is you know I, I built i built bows i've hunted with 340 feet per second you know 10 years ago back when it you know I, i've tried everything and honestly the the, the heavier foc and and the, the heavier uh, is gonna is gonna perform way better for you i mean it's hands down it's just better it's uh, uh, there's, a, there's kind of a myth here. Um, kinetic energy, you know, the formula for for figuring out kinetic energy is feet per second squared times mass weight of the arrow, the, mm-hmm. grain, the grain weight, and then divided by 450240 gives you your kinetic energy. Well, so when people know that formula, this is what they do. They go in and they, they weigh a – I'll just give you an example. They take a 300-grain arrow and they do the formula. And you know naturally it's going to be faster, so the the kinetic energy like just that pops up at sixty nine point uh, two is the is the kinetic energy. Well, you'll do the the heavy air, like say the five hundred grain arrow going quite a bit slower, and you do the FOC, and it's nearly about the same. So you're thinking you know it might be like one one uh, pound more kinetic energy. So then you think that. You know, this is what 99% of the people do. They say, Well, man, if I'm only gaining one, I want that speed. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing this is, and listen closely on this kinetic energy is only measured at the height of the animal. Meaning, yes, that arrow has that kinetic energy, and kinetic energy is used more for ballistics with guns than it is with with arrows and archery because archery is killed by massive hemorrhaging, not by shock. Mass weight gives you momentum and therefore penetration. So the analogy that you used was perfect, Tyler. Like if I took a ping pong ball and I threw it 200 miles an hour, or I took a brick and threw it 50 mile an hour, I would much rather get hit with a ping pong ball going 200 than I would a brick at 50. the energy of the ping-pong ball going 200 is going to hit you, and it's going to disperse out left, right, up, down, and it's not going to cause much damage. Whereas that brick, it's going to take a little bit of meat to slow that thing down. It's going to hurt. So with a heavier arrow, you want the momentum, the force to continue. It's going to it's going to take it to, to push, 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 almost like when you're driving a T-post in the ground, why don't you use a claw hammer? grab that sledgehammer Mm -hmm. because the mass weight is going to drive it better same difference a heavier error you've got to have something within reason you don't want to have a uh, you know a um, like a 1200 grain error to where you're shooting like a bow fishing error at at deer but what more mass weight does um, make things penetrate better
1: yeah man that that was very helpful for me I know it's going to be helpful for a lot of people as well and you know just the amount of knowledge that you have about archery is just, it's just awesome. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to get this squared away and be able to have you on the rice, elite podcast. Cause like I said, this is, this is going to be really helpful, especially with archery seasons coming up and everybody, you know, getting excited about the hunting seasons approaching. This is a, this was a great conversation. I appreciate you being on the Rise oh, yeah. podcast with me, man. Man, I love it. This is what
0: brought me to the dance. Like we talked about That's earlier. Right. So I, I mean, I guess I'll be on my deathbed and I'll be still spitting out numbers <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that know a lot of things. It's just, um, you, you know, and I, and I may be wrong on, on some of the things, but I, I know from, you know, all the years of me, uh, tinkering with them, these things have been proof. I mean, it's just, it's proof positive. So, uh, uh, these things, these things kind of work. And if, if you can be more consistent and, and uh, you know, we're there to to dull broadheads and we're there to
1: have a happy gut pile (laughs) absolutely absolutely that gut pile is the it's the true trophy because once that once you have that gut pile then you know you got a freezer full and everything kind of worked out for you man yeah (laughs) so where can everybody where can they connect with you where can they you know check out more of your content because i mean the the hour and 15 minutes that we spent on that is just the tip of the iceberg with the amount of knowledge you, you have so where can they where can they connect with you more
0: um, yeah, we got we got stuff on you know anything bone collector bonecollector.com on uh, the on those social media pages for bone collector as well as mine is T Bone Outdoors Instagram Facebook and Twitter and then uh, I'm gonna start doing more stuff I got a YouTube channel but haven't been uh, posting much to it uh, in recent but um, we're fixing to start ramping that back up uh, very soon so uh, yeah and uh, I-, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'll make sure I have all that information down in the details of the, the show here once it posts. And again, I can't I can't thank you enough for being on the Rasculett Podcast with me. And if you get your own podcast, to let me know because I'm going to be first in line to be listening to it. So
0: <laughs> I, I, I certainly appreciate that. Yeah, anytime, just just holler, holler at me. I, I I really enjoy it. So hopefully, a little bit of tidbits we talked about may I help somebody out. And I hope everybody has a great Corona free.
1: Fall this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, guys. So, there you go. There is some sound advice from one of the best in the business, Travis T. Bone Turner. I appreciate you guys listening to the Rice Gully podcast today. Make sure you guys connect with T. Bone if you're not already on his social media platforms and also on his website, tboneoutdoors.com. If you guys got any value from today's episode, be sure to leave a rating and review on the podcast platform that you're listening on. Those ratings and reviews they go a long way in being able to help organically grow the Rise Elite podcast to be able to reach more and more people. The Rise Elite podcast is listener supported. So, if you guys would like to support the Rise Elite podcast and help us grow the audio experience, then find out how you can support the Rise Elite podcast today. That information can also be found in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the Rise Elite podcast. That way, you guys don't miss out on any of the future
0: episodes. Thank you guys, and I'll see you guys next week.